0: So it's uh, the week before Thanksgiving. We're going to take a pause from our series through the book of Genesis. Um, Open up your Bibles to Psalm 100. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. we will be on page 526. And as always, uh, if you have questions or comments or things come up throughout the message this morning, you can text those to our text number and we'll interact with them at the end. So first off... I want to hear it from you guys. What are you thankful for? Jesus, that's the right answer. <laughs> what else? Family. Family. Friends, food. Food is good. What else? Clean water. Clean water. Yeah. Good health. House. Yeah. Children. Church. Good. If you give it just a little bit of thought, you can make a really, really long list of things that we should be thankful for, right? But here's the thing: I'm not always very thankful. Do you find yourself not being very thankful? This psalm that we're gonna look for, look through today is an exhortation for us to be thankful. And not just on Turkey Day, although it's a good time to practice thankfulness, but all the time. So as we work through this text this morning, uh, we're going to kind of go out of order. um, But I think it'll make sense when we get there. I want to start in verse 5. In verse 5 of this psalm, we read, for the Lord is good, and his Faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. So at the end of this psalm, the psalmist gives us two reasons, at least, we're going to talk about two reasons to be thankful. Why should we be thankful people? And the first reason is the Lord is good. Yahweh is good. Good good is a word that when you're in English class, your English teacher tells you, do not use the word good. Use delightful or marvelous or fantastic because good is like just this boring, plain word. How was your day? It was good. See, we have taught ourselves that good really just means fine. Good is okay. And when we Just think that God is okay. We're not really thankful people. You know, God, he holds the door open for people. He doesn't tailgate. He's good. But good is not a boring adjective. If you've been with us through our study of Genesis, when God created the world, he created the world good. The Hebrew word is tov. And the other word that that, uh, contrasts that is the word ra. There's really two ideas in scripture. There's tov. And there's raw. Everything that is good and beautiful and lovely is Tove. Everything that is broken and wicked and terrible is raw. So when God speaks through the psalmist and says that He is good, He's not just fine. Everything that you could possibly desire to fulfill your deepest and greatest need is found in God. And God isn't just good in general. He's good toward us. Dane Ortlund writes in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, God, he isn't like you. Even the most intense of human love is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. His heartful thoughts for you outstrip what you can conceive. He intends to restore you into the radiant resplendence for which you were created. And that is dependent not on you keeping yourself clean, but on you taking your mess to him. See, God's goodness is huge and it's overwhelming and we can't hardly fathom it. And it's such a big deal precisely because you and I are not good. Jesus says in, in Mark 10, he was, he was leaving a city in Mar- Uh, Mark writes, he was setting out for a journey. A man ran up, knelt down to him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Now Jesus, we know that Jesus is God in a human body. And so he's not throwing shade on himself. He's just acknowledging the dissonance in the question. There is a goodness that only God possesses. And He points it towards you. We think we know what's good, right? We we think we know what's good for ourselves, and we definitely think we know what's good for everybody else, right? CrossFit is what you need, keto is what you need, a juice cleanse. Foreign language films would be good for you. A Jordan Peterson book. All of these things m- might be good. My wife and I were having a discussion the other day because our eating habits are very, very different. Uh, she has some significant food allergies, and she has a very limited diet, and I've been watching like uh, Quack Doctors on YouTube for a while, and uh, I've got this great idea about how she can change her diet and revolutionize her health because... This guy's got a lot of views. I don't know, and it was a tense moment because uh, the the question, the she she pushed back and she said, "I'm not really sure that you want my good. I think you want your good." And and as I reflected on that, I think I want my wife's good, but I also think I want to just be able to go out to a restaurant and not not make it be weird. So yeah, I'm kind of selfish. When I, when I advocate for other pers- people's goods, do we, do we look out for other people's good or do we seek our own? But then when we get the chance, how many of us personally choose destructive things for ourselves? I know it's good to exercise, but I'm going to binge on Netflix instead. I know it's good to saturate my heart and my mind with scripture, but there's this game on my phone that's just way easier to play with. Alan Noble in his book, We Are Not Our Own, says, do we actually desire our own good? If we were honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that on average, we aren't much better than anyone else at desiring what is truly good for us. If we cannot trust ourselves to desire and pursue what is good for us, and we certainly cannot trust other human beings to desire and pursue our good, what remains? To whom can we safely belong? We need to belong to someone who is perfectly able to desire our good while desiring their own good. Someone for whom there cannot be conflict between our good and their good. We need to belong to Christ. The psalmist shouts, God is good. But then he says, his faithful love endures forever. This is the second reason why we should be thankful. God does not run out of goodness. Lamentations chapter three says, because the Lord's faithful love, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Thankfulness is our appropriate response to God because we are constantly supplied by his unending goodness. If you think about it, when you have resources, when you expend resources, you need to replenish those resources, right? You spend money, you have to make money, you eat your food, you have to go get more food. We know this. And God, God is the greatest expender of resources in the universe. In Genesis 1, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Imagine everything that has ever existed. Just fit that in your mind for a second. And God made all that of nothing. Colossians 1, we read about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him, all things hold together. Paul says that Jesus by his power is keeping the universe from flying apart right now. Not only did God expend more energy than we can possibly imagine when he created the world, he's actively keeping it going. And so how does God fill his tank? Where does God go to recharge? Acts 17, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. So God has need of nothing. How much supply does God have? Can we count on it to come through? What if we run out? What if there's not enough money? What if there's not enough heat? What if there's not enough shelter? What if there's not enough fill in the blank for whatever thing is giving you anxiety? And God says, oh, I've got more of that, more than you can possibly imagine. Thomas Brooks, who is a Puritan Uh, Pastor writes, if there be enough in God to satisfy himself, then certainly there must needs be in God enough to satisfy the souls of his people. If God has so much resource that he is always satisfied, then surely he has enough resource to satisfy us. Alan Noble and Tim Keller both use the word prodigal in some of their writing. Prodigal means extravagant. Uh, we, We tend to think of prodigal as a bad thing because of the story of the prodigal son. But the word prodigal means that he went out and he spent all his money lavishly on things. But our God, he is prodigal. He is extravagant. Psalm 23 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Noble comments on this. The overflowing cup which God gives David in the 23rd Psalm is prodigal. Strictly speaking, there is no need to fill a cup until it overflows. Have you ever been cooking with your kids and you find that they've filled up a cup till it overflows? That's not helpful. But God says, This is the kind of generosity that you are going to experience, my people. Your cup is going to overflow. God is good, and he never runs out of goodness. But what if things don't seem good? What if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't feel like God is good. Things are, things are hard for me right now. On this topic, C.S. Lewis says, we ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because it is good. If bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. Lewis gives us a hard word to hear that that sometimes the things that life brings us through the providence of God are good, and we should rejoice in them and be thankful. And sometimes the things that God gives us through his providence are hard and painful. We suffer, and yet even in that, we have an opportunity to grow more like Jesus. Jerry Sitzer is a professor uh, who was uh, with his family coming home from a field trip. He was going through a mountain road and a drunk driver swerved into their lane and hit them head on. And instantly his wife, his four-year-old daughter, and his mother were killed in that collision. He talks about... The story of his grief in the book, A Grace Disguised. He says, despite the fact that I have been a Christian for many, had been a Christian for many years before the accident, since then God has become a living reality to me as never before. My confidence in God is somehow quieter but stronger. I feel little pressure to impress God or prove myself to him, yet I want to serve him with all my heart and strength. My life is full of bounty even as I continue to feel the pain of loss. Grace is transforming me and it is wonderful. I have slowly learned where God belongs and have allowed him to assume that place at the center of life rather than at the periphery. Maybe you're really suffering today. Maybe it's really hard right now. And the idea that we should be thankful even in the midst of hardship is a really hard thing to wrap your mind around. But if we come to Christ with the expectation that everything is always going to be delightful and extravagant and lovely, we're going to misunderstand the ways in which we are broken and we're going to misunderstand God's commitment to do whatever it takes to repair the brokenness in us. Now that's what all of the suffering and hardship that we experience is about. We're being shaped into the image of Christ. God is good, and God is good forever. So this is why we should be thankful. But then we read verse 4, going backwards through this psalm. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. The psalmist doesn't give us a suggestion to be thankful. He gives us a command to be thankful. Psalm 118 says, open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. The Lord's gates are open for the righteous. He's the one that lets people based on their status into his presence. All throughout the Bible, the words justice and righteousness are are interchanged with one another. And uh, Righteousness is relationship to God, usually. Justice is relationship to other people. And we read this and, and wonder, like, are we righteous people? Are we just people? No, we are not. We are sinful, broken people. And the command is that the righteous will enter into the Lord's presence. I used to work at the Salvation Army Croc Center here in town, and we at one point were the host of, I think, Miss Teen North Idaho, and I'm not going to talk about what I think about beauty pageants in general, but the the evening was filled with lots of teenage girls backstage in the dressing room, getting ready for whatever they were going to do, and all kinds of buzzing around parents, moms, mostly moms, <laughs> teenagers, all kinds of craziness. And there's this guy that showed up to the backstage door. There's a window in the backstage door. He's probably 20. And He's like, kind of looking through the window, you know. And so we came up to him and said, hey, what's going on? And he goes, oh, my, my sister's in the pageant. Okay, well. Do you have a badge to get in? No, but I mean, my sister's back there. It's like, well, nobody back there is gonna vouch for you. You have to have a badge. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I don't. I mean, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm, I'm a good guy. Like, I'm sure you're a good guy, but you still don't have a badge. It doesn't matter how good you are. I need to see the badge that gets you backstage. And we ended up having to throw him out of the building because he was a weirdo. <laughs> and. <laughs> But here's the thing. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3, Paul writes, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. By means of your allegiance to Jesus, you've been adopted into his family. You've been immersed in, identified with Christ. And now you are wearing Christ as clothing. Because see, to enter into the gates of the Lord, you need the right badge. And the badge that you wear is Jesus. You can come in. You are righteous because you have the right credentials. Not because of anything that you did, but because of everything that God did. You're given the credentials by God. And if this morning, if you're not a Christian, this is not true of you. This is not automatically true of everyone. You're like the guy standing outside the dressing room. Well, you know, my mom's a Christian. I'm from a Christian family. Well, nobody inside can vouch for you, I'm afraid. Well, I'm a good guy. I do lots of good stuff. Well, that doesn't matter. The only way that you enter into the presence of the Lord is through Christ. And so we're given a command in Psalm 100, enter into his presence and thank him. So how do we do that? Well, the rest of the Psalm tells us Tim Keller writes, it's one thing to be grateful, it's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel, thankfulness is what you do. So if we are people who are grateful, how do we respond in thankfulness? Imagine getting in a car accident. Imagine the the EMTs come and they pull you out of the wreckage and they do CPR and they get you your broken bones mended and they take you to the hospital and you're unconscious through all this. And weeks later, you learn what they've done for you. You're grateful. But it's when you see those stories of, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find that medical team that saved my life and I'm going to meet them and I'm going to hug them. And I'm going to give them a gift because I'm not just grateful, I'm thankful. And so all of us can think about how grateful we are that God has saved us, that God through Jesus Christ has made us righteous and invited us into his family. But being thankful means we do something about it. And so there's three things as we wrap up that I see for us to do to be thankful. First one's in verse 1. The psalmist says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. This is celebration language. This is like football stadium sort of energy. I've got a video I want to show you real quick. So I don't know anything about soccer. I think that's soccer. (laughs) They are singing Sweet Caroline, which again, I don't think that matters. It's just the song that they're singing and they're so excited about it. They're thrilled about this game that they're playing and that they won and there's a song and they're jumping and they've got their arms in the air and they're yelling. Because it's so exciting and so important to them. How do we, how do we worship the Lord? I, I see you guys. Some of you give it everything that you have. And others of you are like, like the whole time. It's because you're like too manly to sing. Well, those guys weren't right? God says, shout to God triumphantly. And it's not just, it's just not, and not just you and Jesus, it's the whole community, right? The whole earth. Everybody get together and shout to the Lord. C.S. Lewis again writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. Or to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people you are with care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. This is the whole point of food pictures on Instagram. Right? Like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing thing that I'm eating. I need to take a picture of it and share it with other people because the sharing of it is part of the experience of enjoying it. My parents were at um, one of the casinos a couple months ago at a foreigner concert. And uh, the reason I know they were at a foreigner concert is because I got a cell phone video from my dad of the foreigner concert. Was it a good cell phone video? It was not. And it was like, am I gonna cherish it forever? No. But that's not the point. The point was my dad was going, oh my gosh, this is so great. I have to share it with somebody. My experience of this event is not complete until other people that I care about know how awesome it is. And so the psalmist says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God because he is awesome. We express thankfulness when we celebrate who God is and share the celebration with other people. Verse two, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Still some singing, but a way we can be thankful to God is through service. The word serve means to work, to do something, to come before him, to do something in his presence. So we already said at the beginning that that God doesn't need anything. God is fully equipped with everything he could possibly want and desire. So why would we serve him? How would we serve him? You remember last week, we were talking about the Tower of Babel and how on the top of the ziggurats, they put a little bed and a, like a dinner plate to like lure the God down to their temple. Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about, I'm going to do something for God to manipulate him into being nice to me? No. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Galatians 6, Paul writes, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Matthew 25, Jesus says, Uh, The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So God tells us, I don't need anything from you. I have everything I could possibly want, but serve me anyway. And what we find as we read through scripture is that God is served when we serve his people. So how have you been equipped to give of yourself for the good of others? Maybe you have time. Maybe you have talents. Maybe you have relationships. Maybe you have finances. And those aren't all mutually exclusive either. You can't just like, well, I'm, you know, I know there's a lot of people that that give money and then they think my job as a Christian is over. And like, well, that's not really how it works. We're called to give with everything that we are and everything that we've been given back to God. Jesus says in Luke, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is that prodigal overflowing cup language, right? It doesn't make any sense that you would fill the cup until it overflows, but Jesus says, that's what I'm like. And that's what you have access to. The cup that you bring in serving other people is the cup that God uses to bless you. And that's not the prosperity gospel. God is not a slot machine. He's not like something that we just have to figure out the the right set of keystrokes and then he automatically does what he's told. He's not giving us a formula for possessing the American dream. And it's not exclusively about money anyway. Nevertheless, Jesus here is challenging us to live lives trusting that our Father is not only imaginably wealthy in every, every possible category, but we are too. We have more than we could possibly imagine that we can give away to others. What opportunities do you have? Maybe, maybe there's things that you're good at, but, but maybe the, there's just people and situations that God has made you aware of a family that's sick, that needs meals, somebody who needs their plumbing repaired and you happen to have those skills, a a young couple that really needs a date night and you could babysit. Sam Mulberry says, it is almost impossible to overstate the positive impact we can have on others if we are coming, looking for ways in which to be an encouragement. My friend Jared is so aware of this. He walks into a room and he instantly knows what people need. And he engages with them. And and he shames me because I am so unaware of that kind of stuff. It's not how I was built. I walk into a room and I just think, man, I am uncomfortable. What do I need? It's selfish. But some of you are part of this body because you're wired like my friend Jared. You see the needs before anyone else does. Nobody has told you anything, but you can look and go like, oh, yeah, there's something going on there. I need to pursue that person and see how I can help them. And one of the ways you can help the rest of us is to show us what those needs are and teach us how well we can serve one another. So we express thankfulness to God when we celebrate him with one another and we express thankfulness when we serve other people, especially other Christians, with whatever God has given to us. And thirdly, in verse three, we read, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his His people, the sheep, Of his pasture. So uh, in the first Marvel Avengers movie, who's an Avengers fan? Yeah, okay, good. Um, The villain in the film is Loki, Thor's brother. There's this scene where he's in Germany, and he's kind of revealed his magical self to this crowd of people, And he goes, kneel before me. And everybody freaks out and they all get down on their knees. And then he gives this speech. He says, is not this simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. And there's this one guy, I mean, it's, it's in Germany, and there's these kind of Nazi overtones, and there's this one old guy that's in the back, and he gets up off his knees in defiance. And Loki says, kneel! And the funny thing is he doesn't say No. He says, Never to a man like you. And it's it's such an interesting point of this movie because everybody knows that Loki is the bad guy. But here's the thing Loki's right. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Christian, you don't belong to yourself. You are not autonomous on this earth. You belong to Christ. And while Loki in the film is a tyrant and a dictator, and he's not, he doesn't deserve to be the leader. The man who pushes back against him is right by saying, not we're free human beings and we will never kneel to anyone, but we're not going to kneel to someone like you. Philippians 2 Paul writes, For this reason, because of the suffering of Jesus on the cross, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I am taught from the earliest age. To push against this. I am an autonomous free being. I am responsible for my life. I need to be a free thinker. I'm not going to let others tell me what to do. Why? Because we can't trust others. We talked about it earlier. We don't know that they have our best interests at heart. My wife and I recently watched Dead Poets Society and The villains in that film are the parents and teachers who are trying to place limitations on our heroes, the high school students. And Robin Williams' character is constantly pushing the students to cast off the limitations of their school and be free. And it's a good story. But it's exactly the wrong way the world is supposed to work. Again, Alan Noble writes, one of the ways abuse is perpetuated is by grooming victims into believing that they are not their own. Anytime you accept that your life does not exclusively belong to yourself, you open up the opportunity for evil people to take advantage of you in new ways. And that's what I feel. If I give up my freedom, if I give up my control to someone else, then what if they do me wrong? What if they abuse that authority? What if they they take advantage of me. And there are definitely certain times when this reality needs to be pushed back against. Abusive leaders, um, romantic, spousal, partner abuse. There's, There's a lot of areas that we could talk about where like, yeah, you shouldn't submit to that kind of authority. Norse gods that show up, whatever. But we bring this set of presuppositions to God, don't we? I'm my own. I belong to myself, I'm on a journey of self-discovery, and I think Jesus would make a helpful addition to my toolkit. I'm gonna just ask him to be part of my self-actualization process. I'm making the, the right kind of choices about the kind of person I want to be, and if Jesus wants to help me out with that, that's fine. But Christian, that's not the reality. We are the sheep of his pasture. Sheep have owners. They do what the shepherd does. They go where the shepherd goes. We live in his pasture, penned in by his fence. And I've been trained by my culture ever since I could understand the message to find this distasteful. James K.A. Smith, in writing on freedom, says, when you're swimming in a tiny above-ground pool at your cousin's house, And keep bumping up against the walls, you start wishing they weren't there. But when, in your rambunctiousness, you succeed in knocking them down, you realize the pool didn't get bigger, it just disappeared. See, we are limited beings. We've been given boundaries to swim in by our master, our owner, our shepherd, Paul David Tripp says, surrender to God is itself a gift of God's grace because it rescues and protects you from your bondage to you. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. That's a, it's not a hard one to do, but it's one we often forget. It doesn't, doesn't take a lot of work. It just takes a second to sit and go, you know what? I am not my own. I do not belong. Myself. I belong to Christ. We express thankfulness when we celebrate in community. We express thankfulness when we serve one another. And we express thankfulness when we see the beauty of the grace of God and acknowledge that we belong to Him. So, this morning, coming into the Thanksgiving holiday, here's my encouragement from Psalm 100. God is good. He's better than we could possibly imagine. Even when we don't understand the pain that we're in. Let's not be people who are just grateful for his goodness, content to just smile and nod at the truth placed in front of us. But let's be thankful people. Let's be people who acknowledge that we are not our own. We belong to Christ. Let's be people that give ourselves to one another in service to Christ. And let's be people that celebrate that we are His. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at RevelationCDA.com